Here we go then, uh, a new series centering around our church text. What's it all about? We know that we live in a world where people are lost. And their lostness expresses itself in so many different ways. Guilt, fear, anger, futility, searching, restlessness, disappointment, anxiety, hurt. Success maybe, but not significance. Money maybe, but still not truly rich. Much knowledge, but still so much unanswered. All these things and more make up the stories of people's lives. And so on one side, we have people... Uh, lost people, that's the word that Jesus uses to describe them. And their stories, the stories of their lives, is all around this stuff. Now there is another story. Not people's story this time, but on the other side, God's story. God's story of rescue, a story uh, driven and motivated by love, a story of sacrifice and forgiveness, of transformation, security, peace and hope. In fact, it's a story though, so often miles away from people's stories, the stories of ordinary lives. In fact, if you spend Sunday in the average church and Monday in the average office, it's as if these two stories are a whole universe apart. They inhabit different planets. They're in different places. There seems to be little or no connection between them. Yet what lost people need, with lives so full of futility and fear, what those lives need more than anything is God who's so full of life and so full of love. Or to put it another way, their story needs God's story. But that's the problem. Their story is a million miles away from God's story. Like chalk and cheese, east and west, they don't meet. There's no connection between the two. So how can we possibly help their story connect with God's story? How do we bridge the gap or span the chasm and make that connection? The answer is this. The way we help their story connect with God's story is through our story. We are the missing piece that enables their story to connect with God's story. Why? Well, because our story connects with their story. We know what it's like to be lost and fearful and guilty and restless. All these things have been part of our story too. We know what that's like. Our story connects with their story. But our story also connects with God's story. We know what it's like to be lost, but we also know what it's like to be found. Oh, praise God. Thank you, Chris. Don't we? Isn't that fantastic? We do know what it's like to be lost, but we've discovered what it is to be found. So if our story is connected with their story and our story connects with God's story, then we can connect their story with God's story. Whose story makes the connection? Yours and mine. Our story. Which is probably why the Bible is so keen on us sharing our stories. Enter our church text for 2008. And please turn with me, would you, to Mark chapter 5. Page 1107, the passage that was read to us a few moments ago. 
It's a fantastic uh, story. Here was a man who was lost. Uh, in his case, because of the demonic influence in his life, he was literally out of his mind. Uh, summary verse 15 uh, tells us what's happened. Basically, this lost man, out of his mind, met Jesus and had his life powerfully and wonderfully changed. Or to use other words, he's become a Christian and discovered God's freedom for his life. That's what happened to Levi that day when he met Jesus. Everyone tracking? Good. Verse 18. Next time I'm looking for a bit more of a positive response. That would bless me. Verse 18. Notice what he wants. Okay, he's become a Christian and discovered in his life the freedom God came to bring. What does he want? As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged, he really wanted to, he begged to go with him. He wanted to go with Jesus. He wanted to stay with the other 12 disciples. He wanted to stay close to those he now recognized he was becoming like. And you expect Jesus to say, hey, sure, come on, let's go. But he doesn't. In fact, Jesus' response is quite defiant. Verse 19, Jesus did not let him. It's fairly fairly, uh, uh, lacks ambiguity. Whatever that is, you know what I'm saying. It's fairly obvious what Jesus is trying to say. No. No. Instead of enjoying his newfound friendships, instead of getting immersed in his new social circle, his changed life, his newfound freedom, presented him with an imperative, with something he must do. Go, said Jesus, home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. The imperative that Jesus gave that man that day was to share his story. He was to tell what had happened to him. He didn't have to preach. He didn't have to give ten reasons as to why Jesus was the Messiah. He didn't have to explain the atonement, substitution, predestination, the four theories of the cross, the eschatology of John. He simply had to share his story. He didn't have to explain why there's all this suffering in the world. He didn't have to teach on why bad things happen to good people or why there are so many religions or even why Welsh people are so much more intelligent than the rest of the world. He didn't have to go and explain the world's great mysteries. But he did have to go and simply share his story. Notice that Jesus says, go home to your family. It doesn't mean your nuclear family, your 2.4 or your 1.9 kids, whatever it is now. They live in extended family with, with neighbours and friends. It was those in your street, those in your village, the Amplified Bible translates it. Go to your family, your friends and your relatives. Certainly this guy understood what Jesus was getting at. The next verse tells us that he went to everyone he knew in the whole of the Decapolis, the, the region of ten cities. He went to his whole sphere of influence, telling them what Jesus had done for him. Sharing all over. And the result? All the people were amazed. All the people were amazed. 
Why such a positive response? Because his story made the connection. His story connected their story with God's story. And as uh, he made that connection, so their stories began to connect with God's story. And they were amazed. And just in case you think I'm making all of this up, turn with me to John, John chapter 4, page 1067. The woman at the well, it's a story many of us will know uh, well. (laughs) This woman has had an encounter with Jesus, who very gently, Jesus that is, points out to her that her six exclusive relationships with other men have not been able to satisfy her deepest needs. In meeting Jesus, her life is changed forever. She discovers that in him, she can find what she hasn't been able to find in any other relationship. She's so excited that she races back to the village to tell them all about it, leaving her water jar there by the well. And verse 39 tells us what happened. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him, that's Jesus, because of the woman's story, testimony, story. Because of her story, many made the connection and revival came to a Samaritan village. Again, it was not her great theological presentation or some great uh, apologetic talk, but her story that made the connection. In a law court where truth is trying to be established, you have lawyers and maybe barristers whose job it is to argue the case. They're in defence attack mode. They're either defending a point or attacking a point. But also in a law court, seeking to try and find the truth, you have witnesses. It's their job not to attack or to defend any particular point. It's their job simply to tell what they have seen and heard. Jesus has called us to be witnesses, not lawyers. Yes, there are some who are called to be lawyers for the faith. Evangelists and apologists who defend and attack various points of truth and doctrine. Of course there are. But so often we think that's what our job is all of the time. And we don't feel very good at it. And quite frankly, we're not very good at it. So we don't do it. But then every now and again we feel so guilty after another sermon on evangelism or something, we think, well, we better have a go. And we can only imagine this kind of attack-defend kind of uh, uh, mode, so we go at it like a bull in a china shop. It's unbearable for us, it's unbearable for the people that we're talking to. It all goes horribly wrong and confirms our worst fears. I'll never do that again. And many of us have been caught in that kind of cycle when it comes to sharing our faith. Your primary calling is to be a witness, not a lawyer to tell your story, to share what you have seen and what you have heard. And whatever you are feeling right now, I promise you, all of us here in this room can tell our story. It's our stories that will connect their story with God's story, the all-important connection. So we're called to be storytellers, a storytelling people. I will tell of the kindness of the Lord, All the Lord has done for us. Yes, the many good things he has done. Well, Paul writes to the Corinthians and says, your life is like an open storybook, like an open letter from Christ. It's written not with ink. It's not something that people will read. It's something that they will see and hear in who you are. Come and listen 
Let me tell you what he has done for me. The message paraphrases uh, Psalm 96 in a lovely way. Every, every day, every day, tell how he saves. Tell all the peoples the miracles he does. And look at how the early church were living and sharing together. It says we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard. There it is, seen and heard. They could not stop. They were bursting to tell. Their problem was that they couldn't shut up. Just like Levi couldn't, just like the Samaritan woman couldn't. So why not us? Why is it so easy for us to keep quiet? Why are we not bursting to tell our story? Ask the person next to you for 20 seconds. Why? Why not? Oh, I think you've misunderstood me. Ask the person next to you for 20 seconds. Well, I've got some ideas that'll add to your own. We're not bursting to tell because some of us think, I don't have a story. And do you know what? You might be right. You might be right. Maybe you've been around church for many years. Maybe you've only recently been around (laughs) church. Maybe today you're here for the very first time. If you're here for the very first time, you are so, so welcome here today. And maybe you think, well, I, I don't have a story. I, I, haven't, I haven't ever discovered that connection between my story and God's story. I haven't met Jesus and received for myself the change, the transformation, the new start he offers. Hey, if suddenly the hairs on the back of your uh, neck are standing to attention because you know that I'm talking about you, then maybe 2008 is to be the year when your story meets God's story. Your story will never be the same again. And we'd love to walk that journey with you. Maybe, though, you've been a Christian for a long time. Excuse me, for a long time. And as I'm talking this morning, you're thinking to yourself, I'm not sure I've got a story either. At least not a story that's alive and real. You might be able to recount how you became a Christian. But when it comes to an up-to-date, living story of the difference God is making in your life right now, the page is blank. (laughs) I've been a Christian for 25 years. You're thinking, Simon, you just don't look old enough to be a Christian for 25 years. And you are absolutely right. I've been a Christian for 25 years. But what's the point in me telling you how I became a Christian if it's not making a difference in my life right now? There have been times in my Christian life when I haven't had a story to tell. When my walk with God was cold and distant... And my story was mostly my story. I couldn't tell much of his wonders like the psalmist is encouraging us. I couldn't share his grace and mercy, not in a meaningful way. There was no song to sing, no story to tell. Maybe that's where you are this morning, and that's a challenge, isn't it? And it's time for your story to rediscover his story all over again. And it's my prayer that next Sunday especially will help us to do that. Will you pray with me this week that next Sunday will be a real help to help us get our stories, if we need to, reconnected with God all over again in a deeper, more meaningful way. So if you're thinking this morning, I don't have a story, then with all the love, with all the love that I have for you, 
I just want to ask, why not? Why not? I believe with all my heart that God wants every single person in this room to have a current, real, living story of the difference he makes in our lives. So maybe we're not bursting the towel because we're not sure whether we have a story. Maybe much more common for us here, I don't know, we're not bursting the towel because we think my story isn't interesting. Wrong. Manifestly wrong. We've all thought that our story is not interesting, but it's complete nonsense. Let me explain. One of the nicest ways to spend an evening for me is to have a meal with friends. A few weeks ago, uh, some of us went to the Indian just around the corner from here. I don't know, there were 10, 12 of us, something like that. And everyone seemed to have a good time. They genuinely seemed to enjoy the evening. So what did we do all night? We talked. But actually being a bit more specific, we did what people do all the time. Our talking was simply telling stories. Ordinary stories about our everyday lives. And that's what we do all the time. We talk about things that have happened, things that are going to happen, things that are on our hearts, on our minds, things that we wish had never happened. Stories of ordinary, everyday life. And we love it. We can't get enough of it. If Radio Suffolk took out all the stories, they'd just be the weather and the travel. Perhaps Radio Suffolk is just the weather and the travel. <laughs> Sometimes you see people standing, don't you, chatting for a long period of time. You go off and do your thing and you come back and they're still standing there chatting. And you will go up to them and say, what are you guys doing? Putting the world to rights? Ho, ho, ho. No. No, 99% of the time, I guarantee they won't be putting the world to rights. They won't be talking about quantum physics or the splitting of the atom. 99% of the time, they will be gripped in conversation about ordinary stories, about ordinary lives, everyday stuff. Talking about something that has just happened or might happen, a decision they need to make, an experience they've gone through, something at work, at leisure, at home. 99% of it is packed with ordinary stuff. You'd never believe who I saw the other day. I was gutted about the match on Saturday. Have you heard who went out with who last night? Did you know the house over the road is up for sale? I wonder how much it's for. Have you seen the price of those shares? Have you played with that iPhone yet? Ordinary stuff, everyday life. What makes the world go right? My point is we say that our story is not interesting, but we spend loads of time listening to the stories of other people's ordinary lives. And we probably spend a fair bit of time telling stories about people's ordinary lives, our own lives included. Now, I know there are some people who are just as dull as dishwater. But you don't need to worry about them because there are other people who are as dull as dishwater who just love their stories. Most of the time, we just love telling stories and listening to stories about people's lives. Everyday stories makes the world go round. Now, add to the fact that your story, your story has an extraordinary dimension. All that darkness into light stuff that we've been talking about over these months. Add that dimension to your story, which people are probably interested in anyway, and the only person left thinking that your story is not interesting is you. You see, people that you are most likely to share with are people like you, aren't they? They live in the same area, they go to the same school, they use the same shops. Your story, in part, is their story anyway. 
And therefore the difference God makes to your story, the way your faith helps you as a spouse, a parent, a family member, a friend, a neighbour, how it helps you cope with something difficult at work, how it helps you get through a dodgy, difficult relationship, some stress or anxiety, how God has answered prayers that you have prayed is much more interesting to people than you think. You have an interesting story. And we've been guilty of thinking that good Christian stories are only those involving dramatic conversions. So an evangelist comes to town, for an example, who was a gangster, drug dealer, compulsive adulterer, and convicted murderer, but now he's come to Christ. Fantastic, isn't it? And it is genuinely fantastic when God changes someone's life in that kind of way and it should be talked about and it should be celebrated. But what happens, an evangelist like that is coming to town and everybody gets really excited and, uh, about this new evangelistic opportunity and week after week you're told in church you've got to drag your friends to this thing and uh, one or two of you eventually do. And they hear the story of this great conversion but they walk out almost totally untouched. Why? Why? Because they're going, hey, that's a great story, but you know, I don't do drugs, and I have one wife, and I haven't killed anybody yet. What's that story got to do with me? There's no connection. Please don't misunderstand me. I'm not against any of that stuff. By all means, win some. But your story of the extraordinary difference God's made in your ordinary life is probably far more interesting and relevant to people living ordinary life just like you. Which takes us to the third one. Probably not bursting to tell because we're not sure my story is relevant. We say, my story? It's not relevant. We tend to think again our job of faith sharing is to convince people that Christianity is true. We'll need to get them on track about creation. We'll need to get them convinced about Jesus, who he was and what he did. Because of that, most of our witnessing is back to this confrontational thing. We're back to this lawyer versus witness thing again. And your witnessing sometimes has ended up, especially with family members, hasn't it? You've tried to encourage a family member and it just ends up in a row. If I asked you to raise your hand about how many times it's ended in a row when you've tried to speak to someone else in your family about Christ, many of you would raise your hand. Because you get into this confrontation thing about, is it true, is it that, is it the other? Because truth is important to you. Listen, it's not important to them. It's not, that's not the question they're asking. Now, of course, when people come to Christ, they have to establish that it's true. They have to ask the questions and work through them. That's why we have a questioning step. And as a church and as people, we help people through that stage. But that's not where it starts. That's not what people are asking. People generally are not wanting to know whether Jesus really was the Son of God. And they're not generally wanting to know whether Christianity is true or the only one faith. What they're wanting to know is, does it work? Will this really make a difference in my ordinary life? And there's no better answer to the question, will this make a difference in my ordinary life, than you talking about your story of the extraordinary difference God has made in your ordinary life. Cows by Candlelight a fortnight ago, we think we had 550 here in the evening, biggest gate for a long time. And it's really tempting, you've got this captive audience, what should we do? Let's give them the ten reasons why Jesus was God's son. And while we're at it, let's give them the five major proofs about the resurrection. Why didn't we do it? Not because we couldn't, or because it isn't true, but because that's just not what they're asking. 
It would make no connection with them. It doesn't matter how much we long for them to be interested in it, they're not. What people are asking, in fact, screaming and shouting every single day, and you meet them day in, day out, what people are screaming is whether there is something that can really make a difference in their ordinary life. And it's your story that answers that question and connects their story with God's story. So this year is to become the year of our stories. It was so exciting last year for me. As God was turning many bits of darkness in people's lives into light, to hear people sharing their stories, perhaps to dig in deeper at the gathering and in different ways, we shared some fantastic stories this last year. It's just the beginning. It's just the beginning. This year we need to hear so many more stories. We need to become storytellers of the change God has brought to our lives. Firstly, because the stories that we tell will define us as a community. If we talk about stories of God changing our lives, we will see more of God's change in more of our lives. If we tell stories of lists and agendas and meetings and rotors, we'll become a people consumed with lists and agendas and meetings and rotors. We must tell our stories more. And secondly, this needs to be the year of our stories because unless we become storytellers in here, we won't stand much of a chance of being storytellers out there. And if our story makes the connection between their story and God's story, then our story must get out there. 